On Wednesday of this week, we will begin the month of November. And you know what that means, don't you? Thanksgiving and Christmas are just around the corner. And that means all of this fasting we are doing is really good for you right now, considering what's coming up here just right away. We've got some big feast days. You need to kind of tighten up the old belt a little bit and lose a few inches. If you don't, it's going to be unmanageable by the end of this season of fasting, of, of feasting rather. And um, so in line with all of uh, this uh, season of fasting and also the season of feasting that's coming up, uh, I want to get back to some of my favorite t-shirts, okay? I'm convinced that nearly everything important in life has probably ended up on a t-shirt. I've shared a few of them with you that I've seen before. Here are a few more important truths seen on t-shirts to think about, hopefully, before Thanksgiving gets here. Are you ready? Here's one. Seen at the gym. Sweat is just fat crying. (laughs) I saw this one just the other day. A lady was wearing this t-shirt. Running late is my cardio. (laughs) Another one, exercise. I thought you said extra fries. (laughs) I love this one. Lettuce, the taste of sadness. (laughs) Here's a cool one. Vegetarian, that's ancient tribal slang for the guy who couldn't hunt or fish. (laughs) Or this t-shirt had these words on it. I have the body of a god. Underneath it was a picture of Buddha. (laughs) 30 days of prayer and fasting. And we've been taking communion in our homes during the same season with our families and with our small groups as we do our family devotionals or the devotionals in our small groups. The last several weeks, to make this more meaningful, I've been teaching what I personally believe to be the single most important thing I have learned as a believer. I also feel it is the single most important thing that I've taught as a pastor. I've taught a lot of things. There's seven areas that comprise your your lives, all the way from the financial to the spiritual to the family to the social to the cognitive, the emotional, right on through all seven areas of your life that make up who you are. The Bible is the ultimate word on all seven of these areas. If you listen to the teachings of the word of God, it will cause your family to be successful and you to have joy in terms of your family. Your kids will grow up and they will bless you and And you'll be thrilled at their achievements and accomplishments if you follow the biblical plan of not only equipping your children for success in this horizontal world, but if you also teach them the right values, the vertical component, teach them about God, have them in church, I promise you, your children will be a joy to you. The Bible has the best financial plan there is out there. Because if you're trusting in the Dow Jones, it goes up, it goes down. I realize it's really, really high right now. And someone is saying that's a bubble. Maybe it is. 
All I know is somebody makes money every time it goes up or goes down. And when, you know, you put your money in the stock market, unless you're a master at it, that money they're making is probably coming from you. (laughs) Amen. The truth of the matter is simply this. The Bible offers an ironclad way for you to be blessed financially. God even said, prove me and see if I will not pour out a blessing. I will open heaven and pour you out a blessing that there's not room enough to receive. There is no financial plan that exists out there that can bring the degree of favor and blessings upon your life that God's plan for your life can bring. I promise you that. Emotional health, this is joy unspeakable and full of glory. So during the years, I've tried to address these seven areas of our lives, teach you how to have good families, strong finances, tried to talk about the things that matter, surrounding yourselves with the right friends. And oh, let's not forget where all this starts with repentance and baptism and infilling of the Holy Spirit. And we talked about the God that we serve, helping us understand who he is. We've talked about the Godhead, trying to understand this whole mystery of how great God is. We've talked about redemption. We've talked about substitutionary atonement. I could go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. Things that we've talked about. And let's not forget the teachings on prayer, spiritual authority, and all of these other things that the Bible teaches. So many things that we can find in the word of God that will help us live a successful life. But hear me as I underscore this statement again this Sunday by repeating it again. I have not taught you anything that to me is as important as what I'm teaching you in this series. And that is how to practice the presence of God. As I mentioned last Sunday, that's an art that most believers knew no one had to be taught because it was something that all believers practiced. Not so much anymore. And so let's dive into this. The preciousness of the presence of the Lord is my title today in the series that I'm in. Acts 2.42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. The Lord's Supper being communion, what we call communion. And in this particular instance, they were celebrating communion daily in their homes with their families when they would get together to worship in small groups. And I've shared with you already that communion really means fellowship. And it didn't just mean that they got together to fellowship with one another. But communion actually was a way of bringing Christ very near to them. And they celebrated communion with God. In Psalm 16, in verse 11, you, God, will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Father, because I really do believe this, and I wasn't just saying it to try to make people feel that the subject material is important but because it really is important. I'm asking you to open our hearts and help us 
to be able to receive from your word the truths that you're wanting to communicate today because your word is indeed a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And I pray today, Lord, that the precious members of this congregation who are here, if there's visitors who have come to worship with us, that they too will experience what I'm about to ask you. I pray that, Lord, that you will cause us to learn something about the preciousness of the presence of God and how we can abide in that presence in our daily lives. It has meant everything to me. It has literally been life-transforming to me. And I know that if others will experience it, it will have the same effect on them. I can't make that happen, Lord. That's a God thing. But you can. And I'm asking you to do that in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. The preciousness of the presence of God. When we concluded last week, we were talking about the 12 things that David mentions in Psalm 16 that helped him abide in the presence of God. And as I've mentioned several times, these 12 things can be applied in your own life. We got through eight of the 12 things that David mentioned last week. And they were, number one, David acknowledged his dependency upon God. You read that in verse one of Psalm 16. In verse two of Psalm 16, David declared his submission to God. Read that in verse two, as I said. But in verse three, David declares his heroes were the people of God. In verse four, David states that he refuses to be infatuated with ungodliness. So he's not going to make his heroes be people who were not believers. And he's not going to be excited by the titillation and the attraction of things around him that he knew were destructive. Amen. Number five. David made God his highest joy. Well, right now the Strohs are in the series. And it's a good thing we're praying and fasting. Because they're tied two to two. And if they win, Houston's going to go crazy. And probably some of you in this building will do that too. <laughs> amen? Can I hear an amen out there? But David said, let me paraphrase. As much as I love the Astros, God is my highest joy. Amen. Number six, David recognized and confessed that God was the source of the good things in his life. Verse seven, David sought for God to direct his life. And number eight, David practiced the presence of God. I want to look at the remaining four steps that David outlines for us quickly and then conclude by sharing a few practical things about developing communion, not the ritual of having the bread and the, the wine, but communion in this term that I mentioned a while ago, which is fellowship with God. I want to mention a few practical things about how to do that. Then we will actually close by celebrating communion together. So in verse number nine, we pick up with the ninth thing that David mentioned that helped him to abide in the presence of God. He reminded himself of where his joy came from. He reminded himself. Listen to what he said. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice my body 
rest in safety. Why am I rejoicing? Because my body rests in safety. No wonder my heart is glad. I'll read a whole lot of stuff in that. He did not say that I rejoice because I never have a problem. He did not say, I rejoice because everybody else is going to have setbacks, but not me because I'm a Christian. He said, my body rests in safety. Let me paraphrase that for you. If David was not saying that I'm rejoicing because I will never have any challenges, it is to be understood that he recognizes that there will be challenges aplenty. And in fact, when you read his story, he had lots of them. Challenges of betrayal, challenges of somebody else wanting his position, challenges of people lying about him, challenges of, of life and its vicissitudes and its ups and downs and problems with his kids. Can I hear an amen from somebody? But David said, my heart is glad because my body rests in safety. So like I said, let me paraphrase that for you. I know everything's going to turn out all right. I'm rejoicing because I know what the end looks like. God's going to come through. Amen. He never had to worry about the outcome. And as believers, when you abide in the presence of God, I'm not going to tell you you don't have challenges, but I am going to tell you the outcome is going to be okay. It's going to turn out in your favor. And this is really, as I've mentioned several times, it's what Psalms 91 means. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. What do I need a refuge and a fortress for if there are never any problems? If I'm never attacked, I don't need a fortress. I don't need a place to be secure in a place that I can hide in. No, the simple truth of the matter is when he says a thousand will fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, what he means is it was coming for you. Come on, help me out now. But because I'm in the presence of God, I may be attacked, but I'm in the fortress and I'm in a safe place and that's why I'm resting in safety. Amen. Amen. Turn to somebody and say, you can rest in safety when you're in the presence of God. I ran across something when I was researching a message months ago that I want to share with you. Did you ever cut down a tree and notice that when you look at the trunk of that tree, it's got all these growth rings in it? How many of you have ever seen that? Everybody has, right? Did you think the same thing that I, I thought? That looks almost like one of those old vinyl LPs. Do you ever think that seriously? And it looks like a modern CD. If you look at a CD, it's got all this on it. I've often wondered, and I'm serious, I wondered. You know, it looks just like an LP or a CD. Well, somebody else did more than just wonder about it. You know what they did? They actually took cross sections of tree trunks, seven different kinds of tree trunks, and they wondered if maybe 
because of the similarity between their appearance and the circular growth rings in the trunks of these trees and that of a record or a CD, they wondered if there would be any sound that that would create. And so, I'm serious. His name is Bartholomus Trebek. He's from Austria. So he devised a way where he could read the variations in these circles. And there's the setup. Instead of a needle, an optical sensor reads the wood's color and texture. Then algorithms convert these variations into the notes on a scale. Now, this is amazing. And it's mapped to a piano synthesizer and then played. And like I said, seven different kinds of oaks. He's actually got albums out now on the sounds that trees make. Let me show you one of the, the things that uh, they did to set this up. Uh, go ahead and, and show the next video, if, uh, the video if you would please. This is music through tree rings. Behind the scenes video, they're, they're getting it ready. Going to select the, the tree. This has been duplicated now all over the world. about what technology can do or you. That's the actual sound that the rings of the tree make. That's enough. I wish I had time to play all of the different kinds. This is what an ash tree sounds like. This was the first experiment that they did. They've refined it since then. What's this? The music you're hearing is the music produced from reading the rings of the ash tree. Its sounds are different than any other tree. The sounds of maple are different.
notice the deep bass notes every time the score in that trunk passes. Hang on just a moment. enough to make my point if you would pull that up on YouTube I don't know if it does for you what it does for me but it blows my mind because Psalms 148 in verse 7 through 12 said praise the Lord from the earth you great sea creatures in all the depths fire and hail snow and clouds stormy wind fulfilling his word mountains and all hills fruitful trees and all cedars Everything God created is giving praise to God. Amen. Everything in this world God created, and those were the actual sounds, by the way, made by the circular rings and the ash tree. You go to spruce, it's different. You go to maple, it's different. You go to oak, it's different. Every single one of them were different. Every one of us are unique and we go through things in life and we too release our own symphony of praise to God. Because those circular rings in the tree tell the history of that tree. The thick rings mean that there was a severe winter. The rings that are not so thick, the winter was mild. Then you look at some of them and then maybe not in this tree trunk, but in others, there's a dark line. That's because there was a forest fire. And then there's another where the ring is very, very small. It's because it was a drought. And then another where the ring is, is thick and flourishing because it was a really good year. And this is what amazes me. Look at the word of the Lord in Isaiah 61 verse 3. This is what God said regarding his church, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. We're the trees of righteousness. And like the tree, we go through some droughts. Anybody in this building ever been through a dry place? Anybody here ever been through a dry season? Anybody here ever gone through a deluge and heaven has opened over you and you have been blessed? Every one of us have gone through good times and bad times. Anybody here ever faced the fire? Anybody here ever faced a test and you didn't know if you were going to make it through it? I'm talking to somebody right now. You ever faced a test in your finances, face a test in your marriage? Face a test in the lives of your children. Oh yeah, we've all been there. But this is what's amazing. When you're in the hiding place, the secret place, abiding in the presence of God, yeah. 
no matter what you go through, you know it's going to turn out all right. Oh, bless his name. You see, no weapon formed against you can ultimately prosper because you're a child of God. Hallelujah. And when you abide in the presence of the Lord, now to get back to Psalms 91, yes, the enemy is going to try to get to you, but a thousand will fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. It will try, but I'm talking to somebody right now that needs to understand that in the presence of God, you're assured of one thing. It's going to turn out all right. Even when you're going through the fire. And I think of the three Hebrew children who refused to bow down and compromise their values to fit in to the culture of their day. And do you know what happened? They were thrown into a furnace heated seven times hotter, bound with ropes first and thrown in. And the king looked in, expecting to see their bodies being incinerated. And instead, they were walking around because all the fire did was burn the ropes away. They came out without any smell of smoke on their clothes. And this was what the king said. Wait a minute. Didn't we throw three into the furnace? There are four that are walking around in there. And one is likened to the Son of God. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Amen. Here is a pagan king, hundreds of years before Christ comes, is seeing a manifestation of Christ in the Old Testament era because somebody has learned to be in the presence of God regardless of the fiery situation they're walking through. Amen. Am I talking to anybody that's going through the fire right now? Here's what you need to know. Jewish scholars, and I've shared this before, but Jewish scholars say the three Hebrew children never saw the fourth man. It was the pagan king who saw him. Some of you think you're all by yourself. But I want to tell you the reason you're surviving is because you're not by yourself. The reason you've made it through things you couldn't have made it through on your own is because you were not alone. There's somebody walking right beside you when you're in the presence of the living God. Hello, somebody. It's not a guarantee that you won't have challenges. You will. We live in a fallen, broken world. But what David said is the end is going to turn out all right. My body will rest in safety. Amen. And that blesses me so much. Number 10. When we look at verse 10, this is actually a messianic psalms. Messianic psalms are psalms that have prophetic significance and they foretell the coming of the Messiah. But it's not just about the Messiah because the messianic psalms describe very real situations in David's life or the psalmist's life, whoever the psalmist might have been that wrote them because there are at least eight writers to the psalms. David wrote most of them, but at least eight writers. But here's what's astonishing. These men would write these psalms to describe what they were going through. And they were really foreshadowing what Christ himself would experience. But don't forget, 
as their experience pointed to the Messiah, that they too were facing a situation. And David said, you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. And that phrase, your Holy One to rot in the grave, of course, speaks prophetically of the resurrection. But it doesn't just speak of the resurrection of Christ. David is saying this in this Psalms, my relationship with God is stronger than death. I need somebody to say that. My relationship with God is stronger than death. Do I live for Jesus only because someday I get to go to heaven? No. I live for the Lord because this is the best life you can live right now. But I want to tell you, someday this life will be over. And when this life is over, there is another life on the other side. Somebody said, I don't know if I believe that. Ask Pastor Tony Burge about his grandson, who at the age of four, am I right, Tony? Fell into a swimming pool. He was the age of four, wasn't he? How many? Two, my God. Two fell into a swimming pool and was there how long? A number of minutes, long enough to lose his life. Tony, his wife Carolyn, a man and a woman of God, serving God, they prayed for that child, and by all rights, according to what normally happens in these situations, that child should never have recovered. And if it did, it should have suffered permanent brain damage. But that child is healthy and strong today, alive, alert, intelligent. Amen. But here is what is astonishing. Carolyn shared this with me. You see, little children, what they go through, they think's normal. And they think we adults, we know everything, you know. And we kind of like to let them believe we do, but we don't. And so he just kind of took it for granted that what he experienced, everybody else also knew. And Carolyn was telling me that afterward, he began to talk about sitting in the lap of that man. And he was talking about Jesus as he began to describe him. When Carolyn told me that story, I felt chills run up and down my arms. Hair stood up on the nap of my neck. Here is a little child that has been in the bottom of a swimming pool long enough to have lost his life. And as he steps through the curtain to the other side, he finds himself in the lap of Jesus Christ. You may not believe there's another world on the other side of this one, but I'm here to tell you there really is. And I want you to know that your relationship with God is stronger than death. Death is not going to end your relationship with God. Oh no, you're walking along with God. Then you come to this little thing called death and it's nothing more than a bobble and you step right through the curtain to the other side. People say, I don't know if I believe that. I've been astonished because I've actually been doing research on this for several years at the number of medical doctors who were atheists, who have written books or developed a history of studies they have done on people who died, had experiences at death, and when they clinically were dead, 
they saw the other world. And they can be categorized into two basic kinds of encounters. One, they saw God. And some of them were sent back and told there's something else you got to do. And others of them, like Sue Borner and our church, you may not know the name, but Sue and Dave Borner have been members here longer than I've served as pastor. And I'm in my 30th year. And she had an experience before she got saved. And this is why she became a Christian. You don't see Sue as much simply because of the fact that Dave has physical problems now and she has to take care of him. But Sue would tell me this, and when I would hear the story, oh my God, it, would, it too made chills go up and down my spine. She was in an automobile accident. Yeah, Yvonne Ferguson, I just remembered you've known her all during this period of time and know the story. And Sue, in that automobile accident, died and woke up falling into the flames of hell and cried out. And somehow or another, she was resuscitated and brought back. Now, you may say, I don't know if I believe in life after death experiences because we've got this whole thing out there where science now claims that there's nothing beyond death. Don't you believe a word of that? Don't you let anybody tell you that? You say, well, I'm just not sure who to believe. Well, let me just ask you this. Do you really want to gamble? You want to take chances? You want to risk going to where Sue went to? Not me. Hey, thanks if it's all the same. I'll stay in the presence of God. Because what that means is the joy I have in knowing him, the joy that I have in serving him, and he's been the best thing that's ever happened to me. I've never known any pleasure in this world that comes close to equaling the pleasure that I have found being in his presence. You don't know the degree of satisfaction and joy that comes from abiding in the presence of God. You're not going to find it in illicit sex. You're not going to find it in the bottle of a, a bottle of alcohol. You're not going to find it in drugs. You're not even going to find it in money and materialism and fame. Look, I wasn't always a pastor. <laughs> Just to remind you, I used to be a sinner too. And before I got saved, I'm not proud of the things that I did. But looking back at those things and comparing them with what I found in Christ. Do you think I would trade this for all the world has to offer? Not on your life. Not on your life. There's not enough money. There's not enough sex. There's not enough drugs. There's not enough any of that. There's not enough lands or properties or houses or whatever else. There's not enough fame. There are not enough followers on Facebook <laughs> to make me even want to be out of his presence one moment so that I could have that. The psalmist says, my relationship with God is stronger than death. The 11th point that he makes, and by the way, on that 10th point, someday there's going to be a resurrection of the body. Oh, yes, there will. We used to sing an old song years ago. I'll have a new body. Praise the Lord. I'll have a new life. Amen. On that resurrection morning, 
when all the dead in Christ shall rise. Listen, the body's going to be resurrected. You say, but do I have to wait till then? No, the moment your eyes close in death, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You get to go straight into the arms of God. Amen. (laughs) You don't need to be like people who don't know the Lord and fear death. The 11th point David makes is he concludes his psalm, and I've got to conclude, is that he's learned that in God he will find the principles that lead to a successful life. And that is both now and for eternity. I could pose that as a question. Who can show you the way of life? Based on this psalm, only God can. For verse 11 says, you will show me the way of life. Say that with me, the way of life. Say it again, the way of life. One more time, the way. It didn't say ways of life, plural. Way of life, singular. I'm sorry, Oprah. Not all roads lead to God. Jesus is the only way. He is the way to eternal life. Amen. Look, I'm not judging anybody when I say that, but have you heard of the revivals that are happening around the world? Have you heard of the revivals, for example, that are taking place in Muslim countries like Iran right now, where entire villages dream the same dream in the same night and get up the next day and they're sipping on their tea? Said, I had a dream last night. And somebody says, I did too. What'd you dream? You tell me and I'll tell you. (laughs) I saw this man in white. I saw him too. What'd he tell you? He said, I'm Isa. That's what he told me. Isa is the Arabic pronunciation for Jesus. There is revival that is occurring around the world. And people are, that are hungry to know God are finding out, and this, this is the one prerequisite, you've got to be hungry. They're finding out that Jesus is the doorway to God himself. Amen. I, I will, you will show me the way of life. And the term, the way of life in the Hebrew means the well-trodden path and refers to a path that has been proven and that will always get one to the right destination when it is followed. If a path is overgrown with weeds, don't take it. (laughs) You hear what I'm saying? And there's nobody else going down that path. You better be careful. It's going to lead you to where you don't want to go. But if you got signs up this way to Conroe, this way to Dallas, this way to Beaumont, and you've got a whole stream of cars that are heading that way, in this case, I want you to know it's probably a pretty good idea for you to consider that that might just get me to where that sign says I'm going. And in this case, you got a lot of folk following the way. And who is the way? Jesus is the way. And if you want to hitch on, hitch on, neighbor. If I'm talking to somebody here right now that doesn't know God, I want to tell you God wants to make the way of life plain for you this morning. Yes, 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 yes. You don't have to wander lost and aimlessly through life any longer. Amen. But even beyond that, it's not just the way to salvation that this is referring to. It's the way to success in all seven areas of your life because the world will tell you 
that you can follow its plan, its path. Bless you, sir. Thank you so much for coming. I want to represent Pastor Ronnie Waydolf and Wayne Gaskin over here. They accepted me for we're very glad you're here amen some of the members of our church that have helped him here just a minute jesse would you come and pray with this brother lead him into the prayer room we're so glad you're here sir or you can pray with him right here because i'm finishing the message anyway amen he's getting on the right way right now don't you feel god responding to the pasting and the prayer that's going on in this house. He's finding the way. Somebody ought to give God some praise right now. The world can't lead you in the right direction. It will lead you in the wrong one. And I conclude, amen, because I, I, God is moving in this place. God is at work in this house. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody praise him right now. Hallelujah. Is there anybody else that needs Jesus in this house? Anybody else that needs to find the way? Anybody else? You're in the right place right now. You're in the right place. And I conclude with the 12 point that David makes. And that is when he says this. In Psalms chapter 16, Verse number 11, in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen. Did you hear that? Where are you gonna find fullness of joy? In God's presence. In God's presence. In God's presence. And the term fullness of joy in the Hebrew literally means to have eaten so much you can't hold another bite. You're not going to find that in the world because the more of the world you try to put into your heart, the more empty you get. But the more of Jesus you have in your life, the more satisfying your life has become. Somebody give him some praise right now. Woo! Hallelujah to the Lamb. <laughs>